When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, are you all ready for a new season of the Premier League? Well, to get you into shape ahead of the new 2022-23 Premier League season, we're back on the What If Football podcast with a series of podcasts dedicated to the Premier League. Yes, the Barclays, and we're picking off where we left off at the end of last season. So without further ado, it's 1999 to 2000 season. Let's get straight in. Yes, we are back here every single Wednesday with fresh content here on the Sports Social Podcast Network. And as ever, if you do enjoy these podcasts, hop on over to our Patreon page for just £1 a month if you feel like it. Regardless, I suppose halfway through this podcast, we'll be getting back into some naughty's nostalgia, so to speak, as we had been doing with Le Grand Keeps over the past few months in the back end of the 2021-22 season. Now the Premier League is back, the Champions League is about to come back. We'll be getting back on that horse for the next few months. We'll be delving into Le Grand Keeps, the Champions League season's of the 2000s, so we'll be here, not as nostalgia as ever, and with the Premier League here, we'll be doing exactly the same thing, running concurrently and uh, delving into some uh, some great nostalgia. So we're going to do things a little bit differently here on the Barclays, we're going to run through team by team instead of running through month by month, so we'll start at the bottom, top, and it is... Watford, they were back in the big time for the first time since 1988, back when they were the absolute demons of high-pressing, high-energy, direct football, of course, under Graham Taylor, which 
successful as they were back then, it earned him the uh, the England job, didn't it? And uh, kick-started Graham Taylor's managerial career in the spotlight, of course. He didn't do too well with England, famously, of course, but he was back. And successive promotions under Graham Taylor and his return in 1997 ensured that they were back in the big time, but it wouldn't be nearly as successful as it was back in the 80s. There were no cup finals, there were no fighting for the top few positions. In fact, by Christmas in 1999, they were they were doomed and they had somewhat of a kind open. Wimbledon, Sunderland, Bradford, the two fellow promoter clubs and a club in Wimbledon that were seemingly on the way down. They were all in the first four fixtures. But yet it was somehow Liverpool at Anfield where the Hornets got their first win and they beat Chelsea as well and uh, obviously beat Bradford. All these one nils, of course, and uh, tells you everything you need to know about Watford's season. They'd score more than one goal and win in just one fixture all season, and that was just after Christmas. 3-2 against Southampton, which was a, a goal bonanza in relation to uh, Watford's season. Haider Helgeson was signed from Lillestrom, the Norwegian club, in January and became their top goal scorer with six goals. And again, another real facet of uh, Watford's season there and tells you pretty much everything you need to know about how how they struggled to keep up with the, with the big boys. When he signed, they still had a chance at survival. They were only five points off the pace on 14 points. Sheffield Wednesday were bottom on 10 and uh, Bradford on 18 and Derby on 19. But they only won just one game and that was against Sheffield Wednesday, the basement club. There were draws that might have been wins in the first half of the season against your likes of Derby, the fellow strugglers, and even bigger clubs who were performing quite well, Leicester and Spurs, but were relegated after a, a Saturday lunchtime clash with Manchester United on April the 29th, a goalkeeping error thrown in. For good measure, they led the champions as well, but held out until the final four minutes, losing 3-2 in that contest, and bid goodbye to the Premier League for quite some time. We will get back onto them by the end of this year, I think, depending on what our schedule's like, but they will be back soon, soon enough anyway. Sheffield Wednesday, they were also relegated. They'd returned to the top flight in 1991 with third place and two cup finals under their belt after, of course, winning the uh, the League Cup in 1991 whilst being a second tier club. And aside from the odd seventh place p- position, they were they were rather diminishing returns at Hillsborough and couldn't have had a worse start to proceedings, really. One point from the first 10 matches. That's not even the type of form that Derby County's 2008 vintage were uh, were recording and it will likely remain the, uh, the worst start in Premier League history. Their only win was a 5-1 victory over Wimbledon early on, scoring two more in one afternoon than they had in the previous nine matches. And obviously, as we mentioned earlier, bottom in January had been all season, obviously, of course. Uh, Finally reached the dizzying heights of 19th. They beat Bradford. They won at White Hart Lane, but uh, didn't last too much longer, did Danny Wilson, the uh, the head coach there, who's gone after a a defeat to Watford. And uh, Peter Shreve's a caretaker couldn't do much better and they seemed quite fairly doomed as soon as he took charge and had done all season really. Uh, They had to beat Wimbledon's result against Aston Villa on the penultimate match day but as they drew against Villa they they stuck three beyond 
Arsenal, but ultimately in a 3-3 draw. They were 3-1 up, but that signalled their end in the uh, in the top flight. And they haven't been back. It's been now 22 years, of course, and uh, still ply their trade in the third tier. So at the very earliest, it'll be 2024 before we can see them in the Premier League. And that would take some feat of uh, engineering to drag the Owls back up to the, uh, the top flight once more. Bradford had had to wait even longer than Watford for top flight football, 1922. Back then they had Billy Hibbert banging in the goals and David Menzies as manager. Now it was Dean Windass scoring and it was Paul Jewell managing and a fairly magical start with Dean Saunders winner at the Riverside and uh, Stuart, Go- Stuart McCall's goal in a 1-1 draw against Spurs. But either side of that, Bradford wouldn't score after that. From open play until, well, at least from their own players until mid-October. And even then, that was in a 3-2 loss at Sellers Park to fellow strugglers Wimbledon. They'd beaten Derby at Pride Park via an own goal. In truth, Bradford never really went through a, a completely shocking barren spell like your Sheffield Wednesday's one point from the first 10. But obviously, being where they were, never went through a ton of wins. And probably exactly what a promoter team should be or is expected to be. Their most famous win in the first season came in February against Arsenal, of course, title challenges. And by that point, Bradford were goal difference away from safety. They would pick up 12 points in the next 14 matches, which is probably on the cusp of relegation form, depending on the season, of course. And in and amongst that, we had the the 5-4 classic at Upton Park. And weirdly, the less remembered 4-4 draw against Derby, which was still a a bit of a humdinger. I guess the 4-4 draw against Derby didn't have two teammates arguing over a penalty like Paolo Di Canio and Frank Lampard did at Upton Park back in the day. By that point, the 4-4 draw against Derby, it was pretty dire reading for the Bantams. They were five points behind with four games to play. Then it was another win on the North East against another promoted club in Sunderland. But the big game was next at home to Wimbledon, a win that would take Bradford 17th finally out of the, the drop zone. And it was Peter Beagre to the rescue. You may know him as a pundit from uh, Sky's coverage of the EFL. It was a 3-0 and it helped with the uh, with the goal difference, helped take them uh, well out of the rear view mirror of uh, Sheffield Wednesday as well. But a loss at the same by the same scoreline at Leicester the following weekend, leaves it all up in the air ahead of the the final day when they were battling Liverpool whilst Wimbledon. They had had eight days in the relegation zone all season. The majority were in between that defeat against Bradford and the uh, Yorkshire Club's loss at Leicester, which we've just spoken about. The Dons had been in the top flight since 1986, famously won the Cup in 1988, and only had been a league club a league club since 1977. Obviously, the travails of not having a stadium for God knows how many seasons. Um, the tide really was turned the previous season. If you can remember the podcast we did, well, it would have been three months ago now, the 98-99 season. They'd picked up just two points from their last 12 games and subsequently went from 6th to 16th. Joe Kinnear was gone through ill health and Egil Olsen was now the manager. And usually you can predict a a relegated club the following season by their sort of last 10 to 12 games the prior year and sort of the trajectory where they're going. Um, it was a 5-1 loss to Sheffield Wednesday was the only time before May that 
Wimbledon found themselves in the relegations an all season. A strong enough middle part to the season. Um, only one loss between the the loss to Vic, to uh, Sheffield Wednesday in October and to uh, Liverpool in December. Marcus Gale, John Hartson has ever banging in the goals, but eerily similar to 1998-99. The second half of the season tanked and uh, they won their last game in mid-March against Leicester. But instead of sixth position when this form tanks, they were 15th and six points ahead of the drop zone. So a loss at Bradford and a draw against Villa kept them only afloat by goal difference before the final day trip to Southampton. The European places and the relegation places were all intertwined on the final day, obviously with Bradford playing Liverpool. Uh, Wimbledon, they were comfortably beaten in the second half, but they were relying on what were ostensibly favourites, Liverpool, to go get a result at Valley Parade? And surely that was going to happen. But it was David Weverall, wasn't it? Bradford staying up by the skin of their teeth, similar to uh, neighbouring Huddersfield some years on, as they, uh, although they didn't manage to uh, survive well ahead of the final day of the season, this was a bit more dramatic and one of the few chances, one of the few occasions rather, that a team outside of the drop zone dredges themselves back up more recently anyway. That uh, doesn't tend to happen as much as we move through. So let's go to the mid-table. Derby, they flirted with relegation after one win from the final months of 1999. One loss up to March, though, pulls them clear. Jim Smith's job at Pride Park was saved. They did need a striker. The top scorer was Rory Delap on eight. Southampton, same old, really exciting at times. Hassan Kashlu was in good form. Marion Pahas carrying them, obviously Matt Letizia, but they stayed 14th to 16th after the settle, season settled in, really. And uh, Dave Jones was replaced by Glenn Hoddle. Gordon Strachan survived a Coventry-esque 14th with very little danger, form tailing off in the second half. Robbie Keane, though, and Gary McAllister in good nick. Robbie Keane, a superb signing at just £6 million. Everton... Well, they had a bit of a top-half season until winless final four dropped them into 13th. Middlesbrough, the reverse, good form in the final games, pulled them into mid-table safety. Newcastle, they solidified under Sir Bobby Robson after Rude Hullet was sacked in August after the uh, the time we derby uh, defeat and, of course, benching Alan Shearer spelled the end of the Dutchman in charge in the northeast, They underachieved, just like Spurs, who drifted from a potential European season into 10th and... West Ham, great start under Harry Redknapp, showed some good springtime form. They were in eighth place in the conversation, just as they were the prior year. Could have made a late break for it had they not picked up one point from the final four. And obviously the, the season is mainly remembered for Paolo Di Canio winning the goal of the season award with that scissor kick against Wimbledon. And then we have Leicester, future swirling around Martin O'Neill's future. who has been courted by uh, several big clubs, but he performs miracles yet again with the Foxes. And that's despite Frank Sinclair wanting to score own goals at every single opportunity. They were fifth, but for a, a poor festive period. And uh, they picked up wins League Cup trophy by February 8th to boot as well. And for Leicester at that time, a fantastic, fantastic season. After this short break, we will look at the European race and the title race and we haven't even discussed our third and final promoted club yet. Stick around. Welcome back. Yes, we still haven't discussed our third and final promoted club and they are, of course, 
Sunderland with the backing of one of the greatest strike partnerships in the history of the uh, Premier League, Niall Quinn and Kevin Phillips, the traditional almost caricature of the big man, little man. But uh, Kevin Phillips got the golden boot. His 16 away Premier League goals in a single season remains a record. He got 30, which meant the... Uh, illustrious European Golden Shoe Award was uh, was his come the end of the season. It was a bit of an inconsistent start, obviously Sunderland trap find their feet, but uh, Peter Reid's team soon kicked into gear and uh, from a loss against Leeds to a loss against Liverpool, they'd won seven, drawn three and uh, were unbeaten and were officially title challengers by Christmas. They even got a 2-2 draw against Man United around the festive period. Unfortunately for the Black Cats, the form took a nosedive until March, ended up 7th, but if you think about it, it, despite obviously Sunderland, a massive club historically, FA Cup finalists about 7 or 8 years prior to this, still an incredible achievement for Peter Reid. When you consider the teams above them, and to be fair, some of the teams below them that we've already mentioned, Everton, Newcastle, Spurs, it's a, a fantastic first season and potentially could kick on to something better. Obviously, Kevin Phillips now earns himself international football. Niall Quinn, not bad either. And obviously, Peter Reid's cultivated something special at the Stadium of Light. Next, we'll have to discuss the the FA Cup finalists. Aston Villa and Chelsea, they had very, very similar seasons. Aston Villa were very poor in the first half of the season, then went four months undefeated, lost two games in the second half of the season, which was teamed with that that run to the cup final, which remains outside of 2015, their last FA Cup final, beaten by Chelsea at Wembley. And Chelsea, like Villa, slightly under par in comparison to their previous season, but they did have a quarter final of the Champions League against Barcelona um, on their CV as well. They did become a bit imbued by the cup run, their form. Almost 20 Premier League games undefeated. And around this time, you don't think of Chelsea as that machine really obviously they would become that later on in the decade obviously but a bit of a daft defeat to Sheffield Wednesday and obviously losing to the top two Manchester United and Arsenal their losses there kept them in the UEFA Cup they would not be in the Champions League again for quite some time which we'll get on to in the coming weeks I'm sure I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is The Deal each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So the real contenders to join Manchester United and Arsenal in the Champions League and in the title race were Liverpool and Leeds. Liverpool hadn't been in the Champions League since the uh, ban on English clubs, of course. Leeds didn't make the most of appearing in the Champions League when it was the true Champions League, the League of Champions. 
in the 1992-93 season, the inaugural Champions League season, of course. Both had spent a ton of cash in at Liverpool came the likes of Sammy Herpia, Stefan Honcho into a, a back line, Sander Vesterveld, the goalie, of course, Vladimir Schmitzer, and... Didi Hamann, Emil Heskey would come in in March as well. Meanwhile, Leeds famously spent big. They wouldn't go completely nuclear with the uh, spending power just yet, but uh, we had Danny Mills, Michael Dubry, Michael Bridge as well, banging form, and Darren Huckabee as well. Um, more sensible transfers than uh, what would happen, of course. Sensible money, rather. And uh, they both converged on third, really. Liverpool started horrifically. Michael Owen not as good as his previous two Golden Boot winning seasons. Meanwhile, Leeds were, were top for quite long stretches, um, which is an incredible thing to say, considering that uh, Manchester United got north of 90 points, which would have been a record for a 38-game season, I'm fairly certain. And um, a huge February for Liverpool, saw them take... Seven points from three games on the spin against the, the the eventual top three Leeds, Arsenal and Man United. And after three months undefeated, they had climbed to second place, but I don't think they ever truly challenged Leeds by this point. They clambered all the way down to fourth and uh, couldn't have more different ends to the season, really. Liverpool, they got two points from the last five, which we'd already mentioned there, lost to Bradford on the final game of the season. Meanwhile, Leeds went unbeaten in the last five, and that was really... The difference maker, obviously, the 1-0 defeat at Valley Parade stunted Liverpool's Champions League spot dreams. Only three teams, let's uh, not forget, qualified for the Champions League in the, this day and age. And Bradford had um, inadvertently helped their neighbours out and Leeds were qualifying for the Champions League for the first time since 1992. How different life uh, would be for Leeds in the coming few years because of that. Meanwhile, it was Arsenal who were second in what was pretty much a one-horse race. Nicola Anelka was gone, Thierry Henry was in with that seed money and uh, Henry was top scorer for them and uh, really coming into form. Arsenal themselves only really came into form when the heat was off. Horrific in comparison to uh, previous years, first half of the season form, even in comparison to 97-98. They wouldn't have that... That late barrage of form, as in 98, which won them the double, domestic double. But I think even if they would have achieved that, they would have come short to uh, Manchester United anyway. The Gunners wouldn't string together four wins on the bounce until March, and uh, which is something that would be a bit of a facet of Arsenal. Obviously, we'll talk about the Invincible season in the coming weeks. And uh, obviously, 98, were they were just unstoppable in the second half of the season. And their 4-0 thrashing of Leeds at Elland Road, that only took Arsenal back into the Champions League spots around then. But from there, they did pick up a little bit of a head of steam. They won all but their last two as they comfortably sealed second place with Liverpool and Leeds obviously fighting for the top four. And that leaves, of course, the champions, Manchester United, simply having their best Premier League season in the old uh, points-per-game metric, which is the... Uh, Sometimes the only thing that matters to some people in uh, ranking certain teams, obviously. The points per game has considerably increased in the past few years and, of course, chuck in a little bit of Mourinho magic in the mid-2000s as well. And uh, you have teams that are vastly superior in points to the likes of Manchester United and Arsenal of these times. 
Of course, United were the champions of Europe, champions of the FA Cup as well. Wouldn't defend that FA Cup trophy uh, infamously. And uh, undefeated in 1999 until one of the biggest jolts you're ever likely to see, a 5 nil pasting at Chelsea. And this was probably uh, a facet of the club after Peter Schmeichel's retirement. Mark Bosnich was earmarked for a return to Old Trafford. Raymond van der Howe was also the... Uh, Entrusted with the number two position as ever, but both were injured. So, enter the uh, one of the uh, maybe the worst signing in Premier League history, probably Massimo Taibe. He got the man of the match performance against Liverpool, which I've always felt uneasy with. That I remember distinctly watching that match because that was the first time my parents um, splurged out the money for Sky. We must have been doing quite well in uh, September 1999. I remember watching the the whole match, thinking, "How has he got man of the match?" Because he, he was at he was at um, fault for the first goal, second second goal not so much, but uh, made a couple of good saves in the second half. I get, but it was a chaotic performance. And then you get the shambles of the goal from Matt Letizia against Southampton, and then the uh, the five nil against Chelsea, where the first goal really punches Gary Neville instead of the ball. Uh, but from then on in, Man United were unstoppable. Obviously, you get the uh, the defeats at St. James's Park, at White Hart Lane, but that is that is it, really. Um, the bookies started paying out on United, winning the league after their 1-0 win at Elland Road in February. And um, really, around that time, up until that game, Leeds were considered the, the main title rivals. Obviously, David O'Leary was in charge, young and exuberant um, team, and... Many people thought that they had the spending power to keep up with the likes of Manchester United and Arsenal. And um, 97 goals at this point in 2000 was a Premier League record at the time. And you had two six wins in a row sequences and then ending with 11 win on the, one on the spin, which pretty much sums up United's season, just an in, a juggernaut of a team. Obviously, they probably only reach the the record points, their record points in 91, purely because of no European distractions in the latter stages. They, of course, bowed out to, to Real Madrid in the quarterfinals and FA Cup obviously weren't in it. The Club World Cup took a big chunk out of their schedule, but still didn't particularly seem to affect them, probably... Help them really in a warm weather camp in the uh, winter time, which often tends to happen in modern eras more so than it definitely did in 2000. And um, of course, the League Cup never truly taken seriously by um, by Manchester United and Alex Ferguson until they started to win it again in the uh, mid to late 2000s with three wins in five seasons. Tend to tend to remember. Uh, you got Andy Cole and Dwight York, of course, still in the goals. The partnership still. Unbelievable. Andy Cole was scoring hat-tricks for fun. A lot of overhead kicks from Andy Cole. It was like FIFA 2001 on the PlayStation. All over, of course, Dwight York. Incredible season again. You got Beckham and Scholes firmly entering their peak. Roy Keane, of course. Ryan Giggs, the fabled midfield. And the title was sewn up with a 3-1 win at the Dell on April the 22nd. Match day 34, two records. Right there, 18 points difference from Arsenal, another record right there. Um, another record, though, was their 45 goals conceded. And um, as in 1998-99, they shipped three goals in each defeat. Back then, it was Arsenal, Sheffield Wednesday and Middlesbrough. And um, that is still a record to this day in terms of most goals conceded as a champion. But that was Man United's style of the time, and it was irresistible. 
it didn't particularly matter that they conceded so many goals, they would then conversely score four against West Ham twice, Bradford City twice, Newcastle, Everton, Sheffield Wednesday, Watford, Middlesbrough and Sunderland. So 45 goals conceded didn't matter. They'd broke records for the most Premier League goals in a season, most conceded by a champion and even them out, probably one of, uh, in points, in form-wise, one of the greatest seasons for Manchester United, but quite the come down when you consider the the glory and the riches of the prior season. Despite 79 points, there's a 12-point difference there that they've uh, gained this season, but 1999 was uh, well, forever remembered as um, United's greatest ever season, if they eclipse that, which... Let's be honest, ain't going to happen anytime soon, maybe ever again, considering all the stars aligning. That is all we've got time for on today's show. Thank you very, very much for listening to our return episode of the What If Football podcast. And as ever, in this opening few weeks of the season, we'll be going down memory lane with more episodes, more season reviews of the Premier League next week, of course. 2000-2001 and a third chance for Manchester United to win three in a row. They failed in 95 against Blackburn, failed in 98 against Arsenal. Would they fail again in 2001? We had a bit of a big six coming to the fore, so there would be plenty of challenges, of course. Until next time, thank you and silly. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.